Hello and welcome to this episode of the Beartown Road Alliance Church Podcast. My name is Pastor Isaac and I want to say thank you for choosing to join in on this episode because we are starting our post-Easter series on marriage titled For Better or for worse. And today's message is entitled The Submission Competition. Well, the Pharisees approached Jesus and asked him about divorce. And instead of talking about divorce, Jesus wanted to talk about marriage. And so Pastor Dave is going to unpack this story and what is the meaning of marriage? In other words, the submission competition. And so we are glad that you are here. We hope that this first part of our three-part series is helpful to you in your marriages, that you're pushed, that you're challenged. If you are single, if you are divorced, remarried, uh, dating, whatever it might be, we're hoping that this series will be helpful to you. And so, hey, if you want to go to our website, beartownroad.org, you can find all sorts of helpful information as we move into the spring, as we move into the summer, uh, that you may be able to utilize in your life. And so, without further ado, let's jump into this first episode of our series for better or for worse. All right, with the sunshine, that little jingle just puts you in a good mood, doesn't it? A little happier today. Hey, for this week and next week, we're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 12. Today we'll look at the first half of that chapter. Next week we will look at the second half half of that chapter. Here's the way Matthew describes this encounter that he has, uh, that Jesus has with the Pharisees. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and he went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. When you read the Gospels, it becomes evident that Jesus came to provide healing, that he is our great healer. If you were here last week, we, in, in my Easter message, we talked about that after Jesus rose from the dead, he gave his followers the Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit of this living water that wells up within us to provide healing. So Jesus came to give us physical healing, spiritual healing, as well as emotional and social healing. Healing. One of my favorite accounts in the New Testament of this is when Jesus encountered the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. He goes into Sychar, one of the cities of Samaria, and he sits down at the well. It's at the hot part of the day where normally no one would go to gather water, but this Samaritan woman comes up, and she just expects to be condemned by Jesus because Jesus, a Jew, represents the nation of Israel that does not get along very well with Samaritans, and so she expects to be condemned by Jesus. They get in this conversation, and Jesus discovers that she had been married five times, that she had had five husbands in the past, but Jesus doesn't condemn her. Instead, he says, I've come to give you living water, or I've, I've come to provide healing for you. And so this woman leaves, she goes back into the town, she shares the power of Christ, and she becomes a Jesus follower. Lots of other people become Jesus follower. And, and, and it just tells us that Jesus came to provide healing. So as we begin this marriage series, if you're here and you've been divorced five times, if you've had five different husbands or five different wives, if you've encountered difficulties in your marriage, if you're a single person and you wish that you could be married or you're content and um, maybe you're struggling in other areas of your life, maybe you're a middle school or a high school student here and you've been living in a home where there's just a fractured marriage or maybe you're just struggling with being lonely, it's my prayer and my hope that over the course of the next three weeks that you will experience the power 
the healing power of the Holy Spirit, because after all, he came to provide healing. So Jesus is healing people. He's healing the crowds. And then we are introduced to the villains in this encounter, the Pharisees. And Pharisees came to test Jesus. Now, we know that the Pharisees didn't come to get their theology rounded out, but rather they wanted to prove him as a false teacher. If they could trap him in some sort of theological question, they could tell everybody, look, Jesus is a false teacher. Don't follow him. Instead, follow us. So they come up to Jesus and they ask him the following question. Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, during this time, during the days of Jesus, there was an argument that had been going on for a few decades. And the argument was between some Pharisees who believed to follow the teachings of Hillel and others to follow the teachings of Shammai. So now let me tell you what I mean by this. Deuteronomy chapter 24 verse 1 says this, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, he can say, get out, I'm giving you a certificate of divorce, we're not going to be married anymore. Now, if you read this in the original Hebrew, there are two Hebrew words. One Hebrew word that literally means nakedness, right? So if he finds after they get married that she had committed adultery with somebody else, it's traditionally the way it had been interpreted, then you can divorce her. But there's another Hebrew word that could be translated a thing. And there was again, a rabbi named Hillel who came along and said, you don't really need this word right here, this word devar. So clearly the reason that they put this word in there that can be translated literally a thing, you can divorce anyone for any thing. And this would later on be called an any cause divorce. So when the Pharisees come up to Jesus, they're basically asking Jesus are you a follower of Hillel who believed in an any-cause divorce? Because at this time, there were many people who were getting divorces for the most ridiculous of reasons. If you can get divorced for any cause, you can get divorced because she burned the meal that day. You could get divorced because she had a new wrinkle on her skin. So they say to Jesus, what do you think about Hillel's teaching? That you can get divorced for any cause. And here's how Jesus responds to the Pharisees. Haven't you read? And they're like, oh, great, he's going to give us another Bible study. <laughs> right? Jesus says, haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. Jesus says, you guys want to talk about a man and a woman separating? I want to talk about a man and a woman getting married and separating from their mommy and their daddy right? Because you all know that one of, the, one of the things that oftentimes splits people up is the mama doesn't want to leave, or, or the wife doesn't want to leave her mama, and the husband don't, doesn't want to leave his mama, and it causes all kinds of problems. So the Pharisees come, they say, Jesus, what do you say? What do you think about this any-cause divorce? And Jesus does not even want to talk about divorce. Rather, he has this high view of marriage, and he wants to point them all the way back to God's original intent with marriage in the book of Genesis. She says, let's talk about God's ideal picture of marriage. That a man will leave, his father and his mother be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, 
but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. In other words, Jesus is asking the Pharisees this question. How can man make undone what God has made one? You want to talk about divorce, which he'll get to later, but he wants to begin this conversation with a high view of marriage going all the way back to the beginning. Now, let me illustrate this to you for a second. When I was a single person, uh, represented by this organic egg, right? And I was like a little bit hard-headed, and I was like, I'm going to be cage-free. Nobody's going to cage me. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'll watch what I want to watch, when I want to watch it. If I don't like you, I'll just go to my house, close the door, and do my own thing, right? And I thought I was a pretty holy person. I thought I was a, a good egg. I thought I was, you know, a nice guy. And then you get married, right? And I fortunately married this, this beautiful, amazing woman, but we're both sinners, right? We both got a deceitful and a hard heart. And you get together, and all of a sudden, you start having conflict. You start knocking that hard-headedness a little bit. And, and after a while, you begin to crack, and you discover that there's some things inside of you that you're not so proud of. You see, I would argue that marriage is maybe more than any other relationship reveals what's really going on inside of you. When I was single, I didn't have to deal with it. Then you get married, and you're like, ooh, I didn't realize I was that selfish. Ooh, I didn't realize that I was that messed up inside. Now, you bring the, the, the two eggs together, right, and you get scrambled eggs. You, you don't, some of you guys, you like like sunny side up eggs or dippy eggs. You're like, it was good when I was dippy and I was sunny side up. It was a good life. But then you, you get the scrambled eggs going on. And I'll tell you what, there's nothing like getting some scrambled eggs and then putting a little hot sauce on it, right? Like a marriage, sometimes it needs a little spice. Now, some of you, you sit down with your scrambled eggs and you're like, you know what? I kind of liked it when there was just a single egg. But you didn't think to yourself, how can I unscramble these eggs? Because you know that chemically speaking, you can't unscramble scrambled eggs. The two have become one. So Jesus is asking them this question, why are we talking about separation? When the two become one, why would you make undone what God has already made one? What Jesus is doing here is he's pointing them, again, back to the creation account as recorded in Genesis chapter 1. So let's take a look at Genesis chapter 1, that passage that Jesus is referring to when he speaks to the Pharisees. Here's Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Now, don't you love the fact that God, who has always existed, is not alone and never has been alone? God is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and they've always existed. And one day, they said, we should make some humans who have the thumbprint of God on their souls who can reflect the image and the glory of God. So he said, we'll, we'll create some humans, we'll create some, some males and some females, and they'll have the, the thumbprint of God on their lives, and we'll let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And all of the hunters and the fishermen and the fisherwomen said, amen. There's got to be more than just a few hunters in this room. 
right? And all the hunters and the outdoorsmen said, amen, right? So God looks at this and he repeats it in verse 28. God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. So three times in two verses, three times, God says, you're created in the image of God. You're created in the image of God. You're created in the image of God. That your spouse does not exist for your own enjoyment. That your spouse exists to reflect the greatness and the glory of God. When God says something three times, you better listen. I know sometimes we wish our kids would listen the first time we told them something, but oftentimes it takes three times. Remember when Peter denied Jesus three times, and then he's got him on the beach after his resurrection, and he says, Peter, do you love me? Yes. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Peter, do you love me? Yes, because he wants to make sure. Peter, are you in the game? Are you back in the game? Three times means this is a real big deal. So if you're with your spouse here today, right, or maybe you're single and you're sitting next to somebody you wish you were, was your spouse, you're welcome for that. Just turn to your spouse real quick and say, you're created in the image of God. And you can even say it three times if you want to. Go, go ahead and try that. You're, you're created in the image of God. Isn't that an awesome thing that we so easily forget? You could turn to your children if you want right now, if you're sitting next to them. Just say, you're created in the image of God. So God, after saying this, he blessed them. He blessed them. <laughs> he blessed them. He, he, you were waiting until I was going to say that three times, weren't you? He blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. Now, this is interesting because many Jews living in the days of Jesus believed that this was a direct command. And if you want to be a really holy follower of God, you'll get married and you'll have children. So oftentimes, if people didn't get married, they thought they were less than, especially if women couldn't have children. They mistakenly thought that they were cursed by God. And then Jesus comes along and Paul comes along and elevates singleness and actually says it's good for you to be single. And that was an earth-shattering message. But again, all the way back at the beginning... God says, get married, be fruitful and multiply. And he saw all that he had made and it was, let's say it all together, very good. It was good. This was a good thing. This is the, the marriage made in heaven. The ideal scenario that Jesus wants to point back to, to remind us. And we're gonna get to divorce. We're gonna get to divorce next week. But Jesus says, Let's not talk about divorce until we first got this truth in our minds. Now, if you turn to Genesis 2, the author of Genesis 2 gives us even more details, which looks like this. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. And then we see the verse that Jesus pointed to with the Pharisees. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave or be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. The two will become one you will have some scrambled eggs, and this is a good thing. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no 
shame. They were naked and unafraid. There was no fear. There was no shame. There was no pain. This is the way that it was originally intended. And Jesus tells the Pharisees that day, I know you want to talk about fracture. I know you want to talk about divorce. But I want to talk about the beauty of marriage. Now, unfortunately, Genesis 3 happens. And I label Genesis 3 as shame, blame, and hurricanes. Because after everything was perfect and there's the fall in the Garden of Eden, now we've got the husband and the wife like blaming each other. And, and, and he's like, well, she made me. And no, well, you made me. And there's enmity and there's strife and there's fighting. And then they have kids named Cain and Abel. And Cain actually kills Abel. And they're exiled out of the island. Out of, it's not an island, I don't think. It's the, the Garden of Eden, right? And things just get messy and they get fractured. And while man is supposed to subdue creation, now we have examples in our lives where creation subdues man. When a man goes out to try to capture a lion, sometimes the lion gets the man. Sometimes we experience earthquake and famine and disease and pestilence, and it's all a result of the curse, of the fractured relationship that, God, that the man has with God, that man has with each other, and that man has with creation. But here's the good news, and this is what we celebrate every week, that Jesus came to reverse the curse. Jesus came to do something about it. Jesus came to enact new creation. That's why Paul says the the old is gone and the new has come. You are a new creation in Christ. Now, let me just say this. Marriage is hard. Marriage is difficult even if two people get into it for really healthy reasons, good reasons. Unfortunately, oftentimes marriages get fractured and you've got a past and you bring your past into the relationship. If I could just speak to all the singles for a moment, whether you're watching online or in the room, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39, that if you're a person of faith, if you're a Jesus follower, that you should only marry another Jesus follower. Well, why is that? Because if you implement the teachings of Jesus and the Apostle Paul, the teachings of the New Testament in your life, and it impacts the daily decisions that you make, how can you marry someone else who doesn't operate under that same philosophy or those same teachings? It's just going to create a whole bunch of heartache. Let me speak to those of you who are an unbeliever for a second. If you're marrying someone who's a Christian, that Christian has made a statement that he or she has implemented the teachings of Jesus, you should not marry him or her because though they have said they're a Jesus follower, they have not implemented the teachings of Jesus in his or her most important relationship. So you've got a different operating system and you've asked for more conflict than is necessary. So Paul says Christians should marry Christians because otherwise it's just going to add too much conflict. So let me say to those of you who are single, you should marry somebody who understands you, right? You should marry somebody who understands how you tick, how you operate, how you make the decisions that you make. But even if you marry the, quote, perfect person. Now, let me say this. If you're married to somebody right now, you're married to the perfect person, right? 
But even if you marry like the, the perfect companion, everything's in common and it's good, it's still going to be hard. I mean, it's so hard that the Apostle Paul said this, those who marry will face many troubles in this life and I want to spare you this. Now, as I was studying this whole marriage and remarriage and divorce last week, um, I kind of consumed myself with, with these teachings and read as much as I could and listened to teachings and read books. And... Um, as I, as I begin to study this, I ask myself this question. Why did Jesus and Paul have so little to say about divorce? I mean, there's so little in there. And, and I'm, I'm curious about that because divorce has caused so much pain in the people that I love, their lives, the people that you love. Some of you have been divorced maybe multiple times, and you know the pain that it can cause in your life and your kids' life. Why does Jesus have so little to say about it? And again, we're going to talk about divorce more next week. But the reason that I think he had so little to say about it is because Jesus was more interested in talking about the sanctity of marriage. It's the same reason that when you got married and had your marriage vows, you didn't talk about divorce. I mean, I remember when I got married, I'm standing up here, and I see, I see my bride. She's walking down the aisle, right? And she's so radiant, she's got to wear a, a veil, right? That's why your bride wore a veil, you know that? Because she's so radiant, it's like you got to cover up that radiant face. And then they move the veil, and you're like, Phew. right? And you get up there, and you say those vows. Here's the vows that I ask a husband and wife to say to one another whenever I do their, their wedding. It goes like this. I take you to be my wife or my husband to have and to hold from this day forward. I promise to be true to you in good times and in bad and to forgive you as we have been forgiven. I promise to love, honor, and cherish you all the days of my life. This is my solemn vow. When I do a, a wedding, nobody ever says to me, yeah, but can, can you put something in there that says, well, just in case you do X, Y, Z, I'm out. Right? Because in that moment, in that moment, you're thinking about the ideal marriage. You're thinking about the marriage made in heaven. You're thinking about the two becoming one. You're thinking about the fact that it is very, very good. Now, the Apostle Paul, um, who many scholars believe was married at one time, because again, if you were a Pharisee, you were sort of extra zealous, and most of the Pharisees were married because they wanted to obey Genesis 128, be fruitful and multiply. Many scholars believe that his spouse perhaps died in childbirth, so he has experience with marriage. He does say at one point, 1 Corinthians 7, that it is good to be single, but he has an extraordinary high view of marriage just as Jesus did. And in Ephesians chapter 5, he gives us the purpose of marriage. It's almost like he reminds us of Genesis 1, and he reminds us what Jesus said to the Pharisees on that day. He says this, and I'll start with verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. If your marriage is struggling right now, I want to implore you to get help as quickly as you possibly. Don't think to yourself, well, once the kids get out of the house, or once we get through this season of life, because your kids may get out of the house and you'll look at your spouse and be like, I don't even really know you anymore. 
Make the most of every opportunity. This is your most important human relationship. So take care of it. Tend to it. Make sure that it's good. And then he goes and he gives us the meaning of marriage. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Andy Stanley calls this the submission competition. I love that definition of marriage. It's like, you first. No, you first. You first. No, you first. It's just, we're going to try to out-submit one another. That's kind of the thesis statement. And then he gives us the commentary or gives us the details of what the submission competition looks like. And he says this, Well, I submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, I am a believer in male headship. Okay? I believe that males are the leader of the household. Now, if you're reading this for the first time, you're like, oh, well, what, what do you mean by that? How are you going to explain that one? Now, what it does not mean is that as men, you say to your wife, hey, um, you know, we, we've had some disagreements, right? We're knocking heads a little bit. And, and I just want you to know that I'm the husband and I'm going to play the Ephesians 524 card right now because everything means everything. Right? As a husband, I have never pulled the Ephesians 524 card. I actually have a couple times, but I was completely joking, but she did not laugh. <laughs> so what does it mean for the husband to be the leader of the household? I'll tell you what this means. It means that as the husband, you initiate the submission competition, that you go first in submitting and loving your spouse. Now, you're the Ephesian church, and you're gathered together, and the, the elder gets up and reads to you this passage. And every single woman in the house that day is thinking to themselves, that ain't nothing new. I mean, we've heard this all of our lives. We live in a male-dominated Greco-Roman society. Paul, tell me something new. Every wife submits to their husband, because if they don't, they're going to get kicked out. So what Paul says next is earth-shattering. What he says next is, in fact, new. He looks at the husbands and he says, husband, I want you to love your wife. And some of you are like, how do I do that? How do I love my wife? Because I looked at my parents' marriage, some of you are thinking, growing up, and I didn't see it demonstrated. So what's that supposed to look like? Paul says, I'm glad you asked. Love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You think about that day where Jesus got down on his hands and knees and washed his disciples' feet. Everybody in the room that day knew who the leader was, the servant leader who got down on his knees and performed the task that was relegated to the lowest slave in the house. Jesus says, that's how you serve your spouse. You do the lowest, you submit you initiate the submission competition. Jesus, who went to the cross, who died for the church, is our ultimate example. He says, look, th this is what Jesus did. I just want you to remind that he made the church holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, probably a, a reference to baptism, and to present her to himself as a radiant church. 
Just picture the church walking down the aisle with a veil because it's so radiant. This church that Paul's describing, it's without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. That's a picture of the church. And men, that's a picture of your wife in Christ, that she is radiant and wrinkle-free. And in a world where you could divorce your spouse because she got a new wrinkle on her face, Paul says, you may see the wrinkle, but Christ doesn't see a wrinkle. He sees radiance and wrinkle-free. So if you're sitting next to your spouse or you're sitting next to your mother or, or, or a woman right now, just turn to her and say, girl, you're radiant and wrinkle-free. Come on now. You are radiant and wrinkle-free. That's right, Nate. Say that to your mom right now. You're radiant and wrinkle-free. You're holy. You've been washed. You've been made free. Now, some of you men, this is what you're thinking right now. This is what you're thinking. You're like, well, Christ may say she's radiant and wrinkle-free, but Christ doesn't have to live with her. Here's the truth. He doesn't have to live with her because he lives inside of her. The Holy Spirit who washed her clean lives inside of her. So Paul says, the same way Christ loved the church and gave his all to her. In that same way, husbands, talking to you husbands, you got to love your wife just as your own body. Because I know some of you guys love your body. Take care of your body. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and he cares for it. Some of you, you got up this morning and you ate a bunch of scrambled eggs. You know, you ate some pancakes, some sausage. You put on a nice shirt, right? Some of you, you shaved and you washed your hair and you came in here demonstrating that you took care of yourself. He says in the same way, take care of your wife. Love her. Sacrifice for her. Care for her. Just as Christ does the church for, we're members of his body. And then Paul quotes Genesis chapter 1, which is also the verse that Jesus quoted in Matthew chapter 19. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. And he admits, look, I understand that this is a profound mystery, the two flesh becoming one. He says, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So just as Christ loved the church, husbands, love your wives. And then he kind of summarizes this whole argument by saying this. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, some of you wives, you're like, he got to earn my respect. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. He got to earn my respect. And, and I just have a question for you. Why does he have to earn your respect? You respect all, all the time people that have not earned your respect. Matter of fact, some of you parents, you tell your kids to call him Mr. or Mrs. even though those people haven't necessarily earned their respect. But you respect them because of who they are. Need I remind you, they're created in the image of God. She is holy and blameless, and he is worthy of respect because he's fearfully and wonderfully made. You got to respect him even though he doesn't deserve it. 
Christ died for you even though you don't deserve it. You know this word respect, it's the Greek word phobeo, which is where we translate the word phobia. Some of you are like, yeah, that's right, I got a husband phobia, right? Or it can be translated in great fear, like when the shepherds were out in the hill that day and the angels showed up and they were in great fear, but can also be translated filled with awe. Filled with awe. Tomorrow morning when you wake up next to your husband, wives, you should look at him and go, wow, you are awesome. So ladies, just look at your husband real quick if, if he's here and just say, you're awesome. Just go ahead and do that. You're awesome. Right? Now, Dr. Emerson Egris wrote a book called Love and Respect. And he describes what's called the crazy cycle, which those of us who have been married for at least a few years have been on the crazy cycle. It goes like this. Without love, she reacts without respect. He reacts without love. And on and on the cycle goes And my encouragement to you husbands is if you're on the crazy cycle, initiate the submission competition. Be the first to serve and to submit. And if your husband's like a deadbeat dad or he's not really here and he's not really doing it, then you initiate the submission competition. So here's my challenge for you. Okay, It's simply this. What if just for one week, what if for one week you engaged in the submission competition. Just for this week. You don't have to do it forever. That's too overwhelming. Just for one week. You would respect your husband even though he may not deserve it. That you would love your wife even though you don't think she deserves it. But you would do it because Christ died for you and Christ respected you even when we didn't deserve it. Even when we were enemies of God, Christ died for us and made us holy and wrinkle-free, and radiant. And he tells husbands, love her like that, and wives, respect him like that. Would you engage in the submission competition just for one week? Would you love and respect maybe in a new way that you've never done before? I want to show you a video. We sat down, Lucas, our worship pastor, sat down with Ann and Johnny Weimer, Ann who serves as our children's director, and asked them this question, what's it look like to put on display the love of Christ as Ephesians 5 talked about? So let's go ahead and watch their testimony together. All right, I'm uh, Johnny and this is Ann Weimer. We're, uh, I don't know. We've been married for, it'll be 27 years next month. And uh, we've been attending the church here for four and a half years. About four and a half years, yep. We have three children. Our oldest is Caleb, he is 23, and then Sam is 21, and our daughter Hannah is 17. I am the children's ministry director here at BRAC, um, so I do a lot here at BRAC. Um, and then Johnny also volunteers. He is the second and third grade teacher on Sunday mornings, and he loves it, and the kids love him. Right. So uh, in the real world, I'm a welding engineer, but uh, I like to do uh, service projects for people, and. Uh, help out where I can. I grew up uh, learning to do just about everything on a home, and uh, so that's what we, uh, we we like to help people out. So um, 
I think from a service standpoint uh, here at the church, we are able to uh, kind of step in and kind of, since we've had kids of all ages right now, it's easy to kind of see where the children are at and make sure that they're uh, being attended to. And and uh, so it's, uh, it's a real joy to be able to teach uh, second and third grade class. In your own words, how does marriage put on display the love of Jesus for his church? So when Dave sent me these questions, um, I immediately knew how I wanted to answer that one, and it kind of goes with the, the previous question. Um, many years ago, uh, when we, after we had our three children and, and you know, they were growing, um, I began to go through some, some difficult things personally, and in an effort to actually protect, protect Johnny, I didn't share it with him. I didn't want him to have to carry that burden too, uh, but the problem was I began pushing him away and things got really hard. Um, we kind of became like roommates and, and we weren't really a couple. And um, I started being angry with him. Um, and it was, it was a really difficult time in our marriage. And I didn't know if we were gonna last. I didn't know if, you know, we had always said that the D word, divorce, was never gonna be in our vocabulary. And while I wasn't looking forward to that, I just didn't think we could ever survive what was we were going through in our marriage and then something changed Johnny changed he began to serve me in a way that he never had before and that I'd never seen before um, he began to just do things for me and to be there for me and I didn't deserve it because I wasn't treating him all that well I wasn't letting him into my life um, and he didn't expect anything from me and it was a really incredible time because he became Jesus to me, serving me the way that Jesus loves and serves his church. And it was such a tangible way to see how Jesus loves his church, um, the way my husband loved me. And I, I just realized that it was worth fighting for. And um, so we started going to counseling. And um, I can honestly say it's absolute best decision ever. He's incredible. Our marriage has been incredible ever since. It's not perfect. We fight occasionally when I write. But, <laughs> um, but it's an incredible experience. Um, truly understanding what Jesus did for us and seeing my husband live that out. So for me. And kind of along the same line. So one of the things that uh, kind of along the way that, uh, you know, God kind of works in your heart and in your life. And so... Um, I think one of the things that uh, I, I came to realization is that, uh, you know, you live for the American dream and that's what kind of everybody thinks is, is the, the way to go, but uh, it's actually a selfish dream. It's uh, the exact opposite of what God has called us to do. And, and that's one of the things that when your heart changes such that you become like a servant, uh, you begin to put others first. And uh, that's exactly what Christ did for us. And uh, so when you look at uh, the way that uh, God's economy is what I like to call it, is uh, it's not about things. It's not about accumulating stuff. It's about serving others and helping others and helping them find their way to God and, and get them, uh, you know, to heaven. And uh, so that's kind of what, uh, you know, kind of all wrapped up in this thing. And uh, but I do get so, uh, so much joy out of, um, you know, serving Ann. And, and the thing is, it's not only for my sake, it's so my kids can see how to serve their spouse in the future and uh, put themselves, you know, uh, behind their spouse. So that way, uh, you know, it's like, uh, I think they, they call it, you know, it's like an upside down kingdom such that the king is serving 
all of us, and then so we're called to serve others. So, I love you. Love you too. Oh, yeah. So Matthew nineteen, the Pharisees say, "Can a man get divorced for any cause?" And Jesus says, "I'd rather talk about the sanctity and the." the beauty of this institution called marriage. And Paul says, it's good. It, it actually puts on display the love that Christ has for his church. Well, as we'll discover next week, the Pharisees keep pressing Jesus, and they're like, okay, well, well why did Moses give Jesus, or why did Moses give the people a certificate of divorce? And Jesus then does talk about divorce. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 addresses divorce. And we'll go there next week. But for today, I just want you to be blessed by this message that the marriage is very good. And that it can be powerful. And it can be filled with love and respect. You just need to submit to the Lord. And you need to submit to your spouse. So I want to ask us to uh, pray for a moment. If you're with your spouse, maybe grab her hand. And, uh, and I want to take a moment to pray over the singles in the room, as well as uh, praying over the married couples and those who have been divorced and remarried and all of the, the relationships that we have in this church. Let's just take a moment and pray together, and then we'll dismiss you. So let's pray. God, we lift up the singles among us in our congregation, those who perhaps are discontent. They've been given the gift of marriage, but they want to return the gift because they're discontent. God, you've said that godliness with contentment is great gain, so I pray that you would make them content. And for those singles that do want to be married, I pray that you would provide someone for them who understands them and they can live a lifelong companionship that is very good. God, I pray for those who are divorced, that you would bring healing to them. I pray for the marriage that's doing well right now, that you would help them to go another level deeper in the submission competition. I pray for the marriages that are struggling and even considering divorce. I pray that they would take this message seriously and that they would love their wives as Christ loved the church. They would respect their husbands as Christ respects the church. God, this is way easier to talk about than to actually do. Would you give us the power through your Holy Spirit to be healed and to love and serve like never before? God, I pray for next week that you would give us wisdom as we deal with one of the more difficult issues in the church the issue of divorce. Bless us. Speak to us. May we honor you in all that we do and in all that we say this week. We pray this in the precious, matchless, majestic name of the God of the universe who has always existed, who created man and woman in his image, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Thank you for joining us in this episode. And I'm hoping that this has been a help to you, that you've walked away thinking about something um, in your relationships and how you can pursue Jesus better and how you can really win at this submission competition. And so until we're together again, I want to say thank you for joining in on this episode of the Baritown Road Alliance Church Podcast. Thank you.